give that shit up, you can concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Hi everybody and welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Massey and Paul. This is episode 12 of season 2. If it is your first time listening, I would advise to go back to the start and listen from episode 1 as we will refer to previous shows from time to time. The show does contain film spoilers, so if you've not yet seen the film, I would advise watching it first. It might help you understand a little bit better. And now for today's show, I hope you enjoy. And today I'm delighted to say we are joined by Mr. Cormac Ryan, I suppose... I won't go too much into your thing, Cormac. You can say say what, what, how you're famous yourself, but former Dublin underage hurling goalkeeper. And I suppose you were outfield for a lot, of the, a lot of your younger career, but you ended up in goals. But uh, thanks for joining us, Cormac. Cheers, lads. Ended up in goals under duress because of you, Crowley. Look, you need your best players in goals. He was li- he was liberated out of field then later, in the, later again. Yeah, a, a guy called Paul liberated me. At wing forward on a dodgy Fitzgibbon Cup team once upon a time. Gosh, look, yeah, it, yeah. It, it all adds to the character of the person that comes out at the end. Um, and we are, I suppose, the film we're looking at, and it was your call, Cormac. We left you pick pick what you wanted, and you've picked uh, the Dead Poets Society with Robin Williams. Um, so, what do you think of the film? Goodwill Hunting, even Crowley. Oh, sorry. Only <laughs> 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 well, Cormac, of course. Goodwill Hunting with. Uh, I suppose Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, written and Robin Williams starred. Um, so, how did you? What? What? I suppose what attracted you to the film from for for this? Yeah, I suppose unlike the, a lot of the rest of the stuff you've done, it's not a it's not a sporting movie. So I probably am after throwing a bit of a curveball in, but it's it's just a movie that I've I, I like a movie that makes you think about things, makes you think about whether it's life or sport or or anything really. Um, and I've always kind of liked this one because it's just something that makes you kind of think about things in a certain way and it has a lot of situations be it in kind of sport dealing with people that you can uh, you can apply to your own life your own experiences um, people you've met yourself and, and I suppose in, in the context of what you guys are doing even though it's not a sport movie there's so much in it in terms of how you can apply it to coaching management getting the best out of people so I just I just think there's a few interesting conversations that you could probably get out of it yeah, and like it just I know you're saying it's not a sports movie, but there is a Mats Olympiad um around the world every every year. So we'll say we'll put it under the guise of that and how it, how it creeps in. But I suppose like look, the main characters Matt Damon and and Robin Williams and their relationship as a psychiatrist uh, or he's a psychologist, and I suppose he's a patient. And mm. I suppose the, the first thing that actually that stands out to me, and it's something that that comes very early, is in comparison to all the other psychologists that he had is uh, Robin Williams tries to, or um, Sean McGuire tries to find, he tries to find a commonality. He tries to find what have we got in common that we can actually discuss because he obviously knows that he's dealing with uh, a tough character, let's say. Yeah, because Will Hunting is a quite a, a complex character in the movie, I suppose. And you see him throughout the movie taking the piss out of several of his psychologists or psychiatrists, whatever they were. And he kind of makes a bit of a circus of the whole thing, quite amusingly, to be fair. It was just interesting. The one thing I picked up from it was how Maguire had to show a bit of vulnerability and a human side and a less concrete side 
to eventually break them down. And I suppose that's probably a big thing that comes up in coaching in the GA world. Can everyone take a, a Jim Gavin approach and be that cold guy overseeing 30 people? Will that work with every group? Can you take that attitude and go down to the Leitrim footballers and do that? Or do you need to be a bit more of the arm around the shoulder type like Maguire was in this film? And I just think it brings up a couple of interesting ways of, of how you look after people, how you break through to people, how you uh, how you can get them on side nearly. Yeah, and just from a perspective of the GA coach then, like lads, uh, like how difficult or, or how easy is is it for, like you've got a group, let's say 30 players, and maybe is it just a case of the ones that are most in need that you got to help most or... Is there something you can do for everybody? Or is there some fellas who just, they don't, they're grant. They don't need anything extra. Like, how would you relate that to the GA world, like, as a coach? It's like, I suppose in, in, in the scenario where Maguire is in the film, he obviously doesn't deal with everybody like he deals with Will Hunting. And same within your panel of 18 or 30 or whatever it is, you have to deal with them differently. And you're a chameleon, effectively, in terms of, how you adapt to the different people. So if I'm dealing with Colm, and as you said, Colm doesn't need a lot of assistance, I just let him off. I'm making the decision to let him off and find his own way because maybe he's better able to judge what he needs to do himself rather than be be guided by me. Whereas Mossy needs that arm around the shoulder and different things. Then other days he might need a kick. And then there's just, like, it, it is very much... There's no right way of doing it and you have to be really adaptable in, in, in how you go about things. And like I suppose when you look at the, the few people he'd gone to before, uh, William Hunting had gone to before and he'd taken the piss out of them, I, I think it kind of comes back to like Jerry Lambeau and he had a real narrow focus and a narrow aim of what he was looking to get out of Will Hunting. He wanted Will Hunting to be his star forward in the corner, hitting one, seven or eight, but he didn't give, couldn't give two hoots what life was like a home for Will Hunting, what supports he needed, what he was going to do after that 60 minutes of a match. He like that. That is how he viewed him very much as just a player rather than a person, you know? Isn't, isn't that, though, going back to, like, he was looking to get the best out of him, okay? Now, it might have been the right approach to whatever, but isn't that like going back to a manager of a team picking his best possible backroom team? That someone who has that drive to get the best out of somebody, but then also somebody put their arm around the shoulder when times are tough and maybe drag the player along that way. Um, like as you said there like everybody's not going to be motivated by kicking the arse and everybody's not going to be motivated with an arm around the shoulder you need to be able to adapt to both and I thought that the two lads played at each other, played off each other very very well and I think they got the best out of Will both in both ways by the end of the film in terms of academically and also um, in his life if you get me like lo- looking at it right Jerry wanted and, and often we want to get, and, and, and we're coaching players, and we want them to be the very best player they can be. 
but is that necessarily the best thing for them or what they really want to do long term what's what's the best way to describe it like like jerry just wanted it, it, do you know what do you know, the, the best way to describe it, okay is like a father who has a son and he and he just wants his son to grow up as a mirror image of himself but like every everyone's son isn't their father you know that kind of way mm-hmm. if that makes sense Lambeau was really. all about control. Maguire was all about kind of letting him find his find his own path. Yeah, and, and like I suppose, like one of the things that like for just from Maguire's perspective, there is like he gave he gave Will chances, so that when we had what well, let's say what we perceive to be a flawed character person that may be a bit troublesome, maybe cause a bit of trouble, but but there's something there on the inside that they're trying to get out. Like how many chances? do you have to give someone or as a coach how much time can you afford or how many times can you keep getting knocked back be told you know as I said with this flawed character that we have on teams let's say how do we get around that person or how do we get that person to come on side with us like I think there's a big piece there about they have to see I know as a from when I was playing and from the bits of management I would have done over the past few years I found that the managers or coaches that I always not even got on best with as a in terms of personality but trusted the most were the ones that I saw a human side to um and that you saw a bit of vulnerability and you saw that right this fella is clued in to what's going on here and um, not that he's hunting me down saying are you okay are you okay but that you know if shit did hit the fan if something did happen you could approach whereas I'm sure we've all been in setups where there's that stone cold approach and it's nearly robotic it's it's they're just players they're just pawns and I suppose in that case you're not going to no matter what someone is going on with a player you're not going to you're never going to get to a situation where even if something does happen that they're, they're going to come to you like in, in, in the movie I, I really think it was that vulnerability that Maguire showed to hunting that was what built their relationship whereas there was no and that kind of more human side whereas there was none of that from Lambeau Lambeau was just push 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 the whole time achieve 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 and I think that's really applicable to setups and, and there's a fine how do you get that balance I don't know but and some players will react to it better. Some players will like that. Some players won't like that kind of softer approach. But it's definitely how he got Will Hunting on side in this case. Yeah, like one, one of the things with, with Lambeau, and he said it uh, at the very end, I suppose, when he had the argument with uh, Maguire, was that's how I was. He was push, push, push. And I suppose we'd see it an awful lot of coaches that they'd coach the same way they were, co- they were coached. And like it's something we've addressed numerous times on, on the things, so and we're not going to go back into that. But like far... For Lambeau, he knew no other way and he was after getting to the pinnacle of his career and he deems that as success. So how do you get, like for people like that, Dan, how can you actually get them around to the idea of, look, maybe it might be success to you, but it's not actually success for everybody else or perceived for everybody else? Do you, do you think like, Lambeau is like, a, just coming to me there now, it's like a, a Roy Keane type character? where he was just pure driven success is all about winning got there 
And then when he went into his management career, he tried to manage the way what people say. He tried to manage the way he played, and he's dictator dictatorish and dictatorial. Sorry, um, he wasn't able to get his players to reach the standards that he had, and maybe that was a reason for his failure as a manager, or lack of success as a manager. It just when you think about it, that seems to be what Lambeau was like. He he was a smart, bright guy. And he saw somebody with potential, but wasn't pushing pushing himself to get there. And he didn't know how to deal with it. And I think Lambeau knew that he needed a certain type of character in the end to maybe tap into his potential for Will. Yeah, no, look, I, 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 I think that's actually a really good uh, comparison to it that... As, as Colm said, people go into management and they they manage as they were managed or they managed or they are they are they manage in the manner they themselves would like to be dealt with. You know, whereas that certainly isn't the case here with like he, he's dealing with, we'll say, a maverick for for want of a better description. And that, we'll say, Dermot Connolly type character that they need to be dealt with differently. And they need to be given latitude to to go about things their own way, you know. You, you look at it, and you, you look at say go to the intercounty game, and I, I firmly believe that lads taking a year out at, at 21, 22, 23, to head over on their J one is really beneficial for them coming back long term, because if they don't go and they're being held back, and they've they've a crowd of mates who are over there. They're being stunted in their overall growth, and it, it like it, it does need a good balance between everything for them to be to be progressing. You know, like something just popped into my head there, and I suppose we I suppose we don't know you don't know the dynamics and the the kind of the ins and outs of every setup, but from a purely simplistic outside view, if you take someone like Derek McGrath at Waterford and over the past couple of years when he had them and and the stories that you hear afterwards about how lads viewed their relationship with him and their dynamic with him versus say this kind of anecdotal stories you hear from Kilkenny. Now Kilkenny have won in all Ireland in the past couple of years. What did McGrath win with Waterford? What is like, everyone's going to have a different viewpoint there of what's, which one is more successful than the other. I know what my viewpoint would be, but I know what one of my best mates viewpoint would be. How do you get that mix right? And everyone's going to have a different view of, of which one they prefer. And everyone's going to have a different answer to that question. Um, but they're two, from what we know, completely different approaches. Yeah, and like if you look at it, and we, we, we've talked about philosophy before and, and a coaching philosophy. Like for people who are listening to this podcast, do they have a coaching philosophy? Do they know what that means? Have they they ever tried to go? And like philosophy, coaching philosophy sounds fancy, but it isn't really actually. It comes down to, why do you coach? Why are you involved on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday morning with an under eight team? Or why are you involved at what level, whatever level you're involved at? Like, why are you doing that? And if you're able to distinctly answer that question, then you know what success is. You know, and I, I would imagine like Derek McGrath wanted to win all Ireland's 100 percent 
and he had his philosophy about how he wanted to go about it and he just didn't get there yet. I actually have written down on the top of the page here because it's it's something that when I myself started doing a bit of coaching with our under-21s team in the club and it, look, in, in relative terms, low-level stuff. But I wrote, I wrote down here, as a coach, you're, in a, you're put in a privileged, a privileged position whereby you can impact someone's life. And that's something I genuinely believe. Now, maybe that in me is molded because of experiences I've had with coaches and managers who've looked after me and I've seen both sides of the coin. But I, I genuinely think there's something in that. Um, and, and that applies to every way you approach a team or, a co- or coaching a team or managing a team, whether it is that kind of more, I'm going to look after these 30 people, these 30 individuals as people, rather than players or whether you're going to say I'm going to look after them as players and these are soldiers to get us over a line but either way you can still have a really big impact in terms of teaching someone values whether their values about discipline or whether their values about how you carry yourself on a pitch or how you handle yourself like again me personally the, the, the people who stick out in my mind from the past are the people who could see past the helmet and hurl and realize there was an individual in there. Not, maybe not everyone can take that approach and that approach won't work for everyone, but there's definitely times where if you do take that approach and you realize that position that you're in, that you can really impact someone, it can have a lasting effect away from the pitch as well. And I think especially as you get into the higher, the higher levels towards minor 21s, senior, I think a bit of that gets lost. Um, I personally get particularly troubled when I see that getting lost at club level. I can understand it to a degree at county level because there's such driven individuals there and at, at the, end, the end game is usually win. But I think at club level especially, there's a bit of that kind of sentiment gets lost. And some people will probably say, I'm a bit airy-fairy when it comes to this stuff. But it's something that I, I I really think is important. Now I think people I, you'd have a better sense of it. I think people are becoming more aware of it um, and more in tune to it. But I think it's something that still gets lost a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. and like one thing that I thought seen that they said in the film, and I thought just on what you're saying there, Cormac, is maybe he doesn't want what you want, and a lot of times as a coach, we're as I said focused on kind of an end goal for us earning goal of what, what we have an ambition of at the start of the year. And for players, a lot of them, it might just be going down and being with the group is what they're looking for and being a part of it. They mightn't want to have to be the fucking, as you said, with inter-county, yeah, it's, it's, it's fairly, let's win and we'll do well. Like even from talking to Eddie two weeks ago, we could hear that, that once they're kind of in that bubble, they're driven and they'll do whatever they need to do to win. But for club players, and you mentioned on that, is how do we how do we cater for the players that say mightn't have the same ambition because within a club you will have those different players. Yeah, like and, and I think that stems as well to so obviously Will Hunting didn't want to do maths, right? And he wanted to do and he was guy eventually found out what he wanted by finding out who he was, we'll say. But like Lambeau had this clear idea that I'm going to get him and he's going to be whatever, he win a fields medal or whatever the, whatever it was now. 
But have you have as a coach, have you experience of someone who drops out of a sport and you just can't understand it? Like they give you the reason, but you're like, you're after making a decision, like in your head now, you might be talking this out loud. You're going, I don't understand why they're making this decision, be it they've talent, be it you think you've a really great setup, but they just, no, do you know what? That's, I don't want that. And I think we have to accept that, like we're, we're primarily talking about GA here, right? A lot of people just aren't really interested in that and they end up in it for large parts of their life and then they go off and do other things. And we have to, like, we have to accept that people are going to go off and do other things. Like, it could be, do you know what? You could coach a fella hurling football the whole way up, but as a coach, you might be predominantly hurling. And then he goes off and he plays football, and you're like, what's going on here? Like, you know, that's the worst case scenario, is it? I think you're all right. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? That acceptance that um, people are going to go off and do other things. And I, I think coaches need a little bit of help with that, that. You know what? It probably isn't all about you. Yes, you might have a, a fact a played a part in them going away, but there's a million other things going on that's, that's shaping that person's decision. Yeah, but you you would take that personally though, wouldn't you? You know, like I know you shouldn't, but if you're coaching a player all the way up from say under twelves up, and you get them to minor twenty one, and you put in a lot of time in them, and suddenly they give up, or they go play in a different sport, like it it is, it does hurt you. Like saying, "Jesus, spent so much time with them. What did I do wrong? Could I've done anything different." Like you do question yeah. yourself, and you can see that in the film when when mm. when he burnt the the res, the whatever paper he was after fixing, and yeah. the professor was just so disappointed that Will, with all his talent, didn't have the same love for maths that he had. Yeah. And, I, and I think, like, as a coach, I felt like that, and I, I presume you have to, where you're going, Christ, if I had half what he had as a player myself, and if he, or if he just loved it as much as I loved it, he could do anything. And it's, it was... it's, it's something that I think every sport and every, every walk of life probably has that. I, I'll probably go off for a tangent now for the next two or three minutes about a fella I knew who had been two years older than me and he would have played the same Gaelic football club as me and the same hurling club as me and I would have played with him, trained him, stuff, things like that and he would have been in the same school as me. Now he came from a pretty tough background that I was, we sort of knew at the time and his locker would have been above me in school Um, came from, as I said, tough background. He used to get in trouble a bit in school and stuff, but he was a nice guy. He used to come, I used to come in in the morning. He'd be in a third year. I was in first year. He used to actually do some of my homework for me in the morning if I didn't have it done, different things like that. And this lad's the most talented player you could find, as in anything. A fantastic soccer player, fantastic air footballer, fantastic hurler, um, pitch and push, anything he took up, tennis racket, anything. He was just one of these lads who was just a natural Um We'd be training, say, under 12s, under 14s. He'd hang around to see him at the pitch. Same with hurling. He'd always be down there and because he'd nowhere else to go. Like, it was a bad home situation. Um, went playing soccer went to an Irish Cup semi-final one day with his club down in Cork. Um, while the supporters were coming in on the night out, he was going out. He turned out he had a lot of addiction issues from a young age. Um, he went on Irish school trials got thrown out because he went on the piss. 
he a couple of years later obviously sports went out the window unfortunately for a fella who used to be always down the pitch it was very sad to see um him coming across the pitch one day absolutely just very drunk and we were training sessions the ball was on the ground and he kicked the ball <laughs> he just came across the pitch kicked the ball from 45 meters straight over the bar locked um a couple of years later got himself into a lot of trouble with the law a lot of addiction issues started sleeping rough and was found dead on the streets um, one night. And it was just very, very sad. A fellow who had that talent who just went down the wrong path because he didn't have the guidance there between just probably slipped through the cracks because of the issues he had at home where another player from the same club who I'll mention his name in a second um, came from the same area more stable at home definitely wasn't as talented as the guy he was talking about in terms of his goalkeeping um, wasn't as talented probably as Gaelic football but he was a worker tried hard had a few issues himself and this fellow went down then there was a year in the difference sorry they were the same year one of them was more talented the other wasn't the fellow who worked harder had a stable stable background it was prepared willing to work and had a bit more guidance, ended up being an international soccer goalkeeper for Ireland and had a career in England for about 15 years, and that was Dave Ford. And anyone in Gala will tell you about Dave and the other lad. I won't mention his name now. And it's just the guidance and the path that people take and the opportunities that one person might have and the other person or the person doesn't get and how it really can affect people. And do you think, it, Mossy, do you think the time... And the era could have been a factor there. Like, do you think nowadays coaches are more in tune to off the field things? Whereas, again, possibly, but they like, in fairness, like coaches from the clubs, um, like they would have called down to his house, mm. getting for games and stuff. They would have, you know, helped them tr- get go, bring them to matches, you know, stuff like that. They would have done their part. I'm not sure the supports are probably in the schools then as they are now. There is an interesting point in that though, in terms of, yeah, I'm harping on about all this jazz, but there is a point and it comes up in the movie too. There is a point where you can only do so much. Like Maguire in the movie did everything he could to help Will Hunting. But at the end of the day, my my take from the movie was that regardless of everything Maguire did, it was Will's mate that got through to him in the end. He said, if you're yeah. still here, if you're still here every day, I call to your house and I hope you're gone. And that would seem to be what registered with him. Yeah. And some, there's probably has to be an acceptance as you were saying, when you were saying how sometimes you'd question yourself saying a lad has gone after all the work you've put into him, you'd be disappointed saying, what did I do wrong? Or did I do anything wrong? Maybe there's a sense that sometimes as a coach, you can only do so much for certain individuals. And they have to like, like you can't, as I said, you might put your heart and soul into a player doing as much as you can, but if they keep rejecting you and it's at the detriment of the team, do you have to cut the cord? Probably for the betterment of everybody else. Um, that, yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So it's just, it's the same, like same, like I know from teaching in school, like you give people chances and chances and chances. And if they're not willing to accept it, what else can you do? Sometimes it's just, just have to cut the cord. Unfortunately, but is it does it go back to what Paul was saying? Um, like that it is it's a bit of a skill that some coaches mightn't have to even be able to do what we're talking about here now. Like, 
that be able to identify an issue and being able to do stuff, put in place the steps to help them like that. A lot of a lot of club coaches, they they like, as I said, it took a psychiatrist versus a, a highly accomplished maths professor wasn't able to do it. A psychiatrist would. They came from two different skill sets. What can we do for coach the average club coach to make them more aware of this? Basically, how can we? Because the education, the coach education that's there in the GA, doesn't come into these kind of things really. I I don't know, and you've a lot more experience in terms of coach education and and, and trying to educate people on the art of coaching but i think there's an element of this that's just natural intuition and natural maybe i don't want to use the word personality but if you're maybe there's a bit of it that you're that type of person or you're not i don't know whether you can teach that sort of empathy awareness to someone like paul won't like me using this anecdote but i'm going to use it anyway Paul, I don't know how much of this you remember, but a couple, back in, it must have been 2014, 15, we played a challenge match up in Belfast one night with the DCU team, the Fitzgibbon Cup team. And I was playing, out. you started me outfield, our keeper broke a finger. You asked me to go and go because I was all, the next obvious choice seen as I played and go before. And I had a full on meltdown at the time. I was having panic attacks anytime anyone even mentioned playing and goal to me. When I was asked at halftime by yourself and Johnny McGurk playing goal, I actually didn't break down straight away. I just kept saying no. And your first response was, Don't, I think you have to, this is not about you, it's for the good of the team. And then you very quickly realised that there was something more at play. And you pulled me aside. And I was having in the middle of a panic attack. Another coach would have kept pushing, 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 telling me I was just being selfish. But I don't think any sort of coach education would have, made if you weren't that type of people yourself and Johnny I don't think any sort of coach education would have made you aware of that I was in full-blown panic attack mode someone else could have just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and that was my point about what you were saying how do you make club coaches more aware I don't know I don't know if that's necessarily possible I think you either just have that or you don't that's not on the foundation course of the award one to be honest with you yeah but sure there's nothing like that that's what I'm saying or the award won, or and, and sorry, this isn't solely a GA thing. Like coaching courses by and large worldwide are about exercises and game sense and stuff like that. Whereas soft skills, which are probably 70, 80% of coaching, they're not brought up at all, you know, and they're not referenced at all. So maybe maybe coaches maybe, maybe they have it or they don't but if they're made aware that these things are important on coach education courses then they can become aware of it and build upon it mm-hmm. so how, how much of me here's me giving a question to you how much of as lads who've done way more coaching and way more higher level stuff than I've ever done how much of coaching do you feel is actually psychology man management versus actual coaching of the skills like could you split it could you give me I, 70 30 i i don't think you can i don't think you can say that um i'd say in hindsight you could look back and say what was i or what was that um but i i can't say that any coach like as i said i think one of you mentioned earlier on about surrounding yourself with people like if you know that 
you don't have that skill, but you're aware enough to identify that, fuck it, you know what? Cormac Ryan would be brilliant to have on board because he's conscious of this and he'd be able to talk to fellas on those things. Um, like, but but I, I think, like, I don't think there's a set on what is coaching. Like, coaching, look, as I said, for me, like, go back to the time when we were together, Cormac 2011, like, coaching for me was 95% out in the pitch doing stuff and 5% having a crack. And having a crack uh, you had more way. Five, you had, you had more than five percent crack. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I can't give Mick Connolly too much credit, right? But uh, it's uh, no, like it, that was it. I would never have been talking to. I, I'd never have been asking any player how they were or anything like that. How school? How's home? How's anything like that? Not never. But I don't think that was on the radar back then. Yeah, but like there's my memory fellas, of it. There's probably some fellas might have been doing it that we didn't know about, or that, as I said here, we're talking very small pool of coaches here. But I think we're more aware of these things now, though. Do you know who do a lot of that? You know that fella, the selector in the club, right, who we've given out about in the past, going, what does he, what's he involved for? Sure, he, he doesn't train the team. Yeah. He won't pick up cones. He won't. He has no clue what to do on the sideline. A lot of times, them fellas can ha- be just have, over the course of a year, have two or three chats with players that can make a massive difference. And now here, I'm giving credit to some fellas there who don't deserve any credit, but there are people, there are them selector type people who play a massive, massive role in that regard. Like again, though, like as a coach, you might be aware what impact you have had on a player at any stage of their career in terms of something you might have said, might have put their arm around the shoulder at some stage, you might have talked to them about something, you might have been a good uh, role model the way you, as you said, arrive in a train and the way things you organize things, the way you speak to people. Um, you don't know, you might never know what impact you've had on somebody. Um, I'm sure there's cases like we can all probably think of cases where a coach or a manager said something to us, maybe it might be under 10, under 12, under 14, but has stuck with us all the way through our careers and through our lives, positively and negatively. Like, I'm just, like I can recall stuff that was said to me at under 12 level. I still think about now. It's just that was absolutely a horrible thing to happen or that was a brilliant thing to be said or whatever. Um, I think that happens as all. So I think we have to be very aware how we treat people at all times while we're coaching yeah like the late John Morrison says like players remember how you made them feel you know and that's what that's what sticks out you know just going off to so obviously a lot of our listeners want to try and improve themselves and better themselves in regard to this stuff and um, the LGFA and Camogie brought out a, a course there an online course that's actually quick enough to get through um, it's called One Good Coach and it's done by the LGFA and Camogie in conjunction with Jigsaw. And it's that kind of, I suppose, that one good adult model, but taking looking at it from that Gaelic Games perspective. You know, um, so there is, that's something I, I that, that came out in, in April of this year. And like, I know it's still going to be a number of weeks before a lot of us are, are ending up back on the pitch. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd highly recommend that for people. And what is the Paul as a breakdown in terms of weeks or hours of spend doing it? Do you know, you'll get it done in the course of two hours, like very good. 
so there's like there's six six really quick modules in it with a couple of videos and then like a couple of questions for yourself and then a, like a small little bit of reading like but it's done it's it's done in a really good manner that's that's I suppose is very player focused you know I was going to say what do you think his connection was with Will what do you think like what was it because they came from the same area that he was willing to put up with him or what was it what was it about Will that made him stick with him I think the fact he was able to talk to him at his level uh, as I said earlier on about like he started off with commonalities and you know like I think he really got the Will that time when they sat down by the the pond and he said he said yeah you could tell me everything about about love but you've never felt it and you could tell me everything about about whatever maths or about painting, about art, but you've never you can't tell me what Sistine Chapel smells like. You haven't experienced it. Yeah, but what I made see. him what made him stick with Will though, rather than Will sticking with him? If you get me. What made Sean like I I think there was probably an understanding and it, it's probably a point that you can apply to to all players if you're if you're talking about it in a coaching context. But I think Sean McGuire understood that Will was behaving how he was for a reason, that it wasn't just this fella's a dope, that mm. there was some sort of underlying reason for his behaviour, everyone is a product of their environment type thing and I think if if you're looking at that in, a, in kind of a, a coaching context is why is so and so five minutes late to training every day, why does he blow a fuse every time a bit of constructive feedback is given to him um, and I think if you can have that sort of understanding that everyone behaves how they are for a reason and try kind of get into those reasons you're probably more likely to be a bit more patient with that maverick as Paul said earlier you know comic you bring up a good point there that person is five minutes late from training and a lot of people listening they're looking after juvenile teams or whatever and it's often the player rides the train and, and he's given out for being five minutes late. But he's being dropped there by his parents. You know, he doesn't have control over his parents and what time they get there at. And they could have been late very simply just because they were late and they were busy. But anything could have been happening family-wise that day. And, like, we, we, we touched on as well, like, how you know how to help people out or whatever. Like, Everyone has a hidden identity, like of, of who they are. And as my wife calls it, there's the public Paul and there's the private Paul. Right. But that's that's there, like, and there's very few people who you actually know fully. You know that kind of way? It's very true. People have a shield, a mask, and it's only to very close people that the mask actually comes off. And like, if you look at if you look at whale hunting, like, and you and you and you look at him, like, sure he's happy out. He's three or four nights. Gets to go for his few cans at the weekend. Gets in a row every so often because that challenges him. Got a new girlfriend. A very good girlfriend, but like, what's to say? Like, it wasn't. Who's to say, oh, do you know what? Looking at him, Jesus would say he's great at maths, like, or I'd say he's great at X, Y, or Z. You don't know what's going on, like, mm. you don't know what really challenges people or 
or, or what could really set them back either, you know. So there's big challenges there. So so what so what if we were to give one message across here tonight about to coaches, what is it like? Is it like to be just aware? I me personally, I it's kind of like a teacher going into a classroom or I know I try to take it with me and work every day when I'm going to see patients as a physio, it's be aware of the privileged position that you're in, that you could make a difference, that it it, it won't be, you're not going to make a dramatic effect on all 30, 30 lads life in any way, shape or form, but that, that there could be one in that 30 that you could have a profound effect on and to be aware of that. I think that's, I think that's an important thing to to be aware of when you're, when you're dealing with, particularly with younger with younger lads. Like I, I I think there's probably a lot a lot of what we're talking about here. I don't know if you're talking to top four or five and hurling football at senior inter county level. I think those guys are just wired differently. Um, or my opinion of them is that they're wired differently. But I think particularly when you're dealing with like developing teenagers at club or at county level, um, I think you have to be aware of the position you're in, the impact you're behavior could have on them, um, and the impact the example you set could have on them as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, like, just saying that up, you can have a massive effect on someone. That's just one thing that actually came into my head when I was thinking about this. Where do you, where would you, the tree, draw the line in terms of, you have that maverick, that, superstar but you know maybe there's stuff going on outside and they're prone to I don't know lashing out skipping a training session abusing a referee but they could still score 2-3 in that game where do you draw the line in terms of right at what point do I ignore the fact that he's after boxing a fella off the ball but he's after going up the other end of the pitch and banging in a goal where does that I think you're talking about Phil Kelly from the Clash of the Edge <laughs> and I think until he strikes a fella off the ball across the head and runs out the gate <laughs> until then I don't think you give up on him um, it's it's a hard one Cormac it, it, it really is and I think only when you're in the position like it, do you know what it was I can't remember who was said it the other night or it was actually Eddie said it uh, two, weeks, two weeks ago when he was said about um, Paul O'Connell let's say if Paul O'Connell is 32 and he says look I need to winter off he'll be given it but if you're if he's if there's a young fella who's 25 26 he's always in the periphery of the panel he says he needs to winter off the coach is saying i sure go on good luck so forget about it like um so i think we, we trust we teach or we handle players differently based on their ability a lot of the time which isn't isn't the fairest thing in the world um but i think it's something that happens a lot of the time and i don't know the answer to that like i don't know when do you say goodbye to a fella and i suppose look to fair the fear with stuff like that and something like, you know, we'd always use the GA as a great thing and we'd say, like, it keeps them off the street. And I, like as I said, it's not a much of a thing in the countryside, but it keeps them off the street and it gives them something to focus on. But if we have to say goodbye to a fella because he's just such a destructive character to the club and to the team and to his teammates and you rue the risk of him going to going onto the streets and causing even more hassle out there, like, how much of a social responsibility is there? Like, mm. I, I think you sort of said it there, Colm. It's if a player is causing hassle like that, if it's impacting the rest of the team negatively, yeah. I think that is when you really have to push them aside. If it's a case where they're 
they're still performing really well and the rest of the team aren't being impacted, but they're going around acting the tug. You're going to have to do something about that as well. Like you can't just, like especially say it's a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old. If they don't learn at a young age that you can't go around hitting lads or abusing referees, they're going to continue that throughout their life and someday it'll come back to bite the club and bite its teammates. So you do have to have, try to sort that out as early as you can um, when you're coaching young lads. But at an adult level, uh, if when it starts to impact, or say minor level, if it starts to impact the rest of your teammates negatively, I think that's the time to say goodbye. Even if it compromises success? Even, well, if the if the rest of the team are being impacted, are you going to get the success anyways? Like how many times have you seen players in professional soccer players who have chance after chance and they're just right? can't give you any more chances. You're not doing what we want you to do. And they cut the cord. Um, for example, that soccer player, uh, Ravel Mar- Marson, who was at Manchester United a few years ago, they reckon he was the best, most talented player in Manchester United since Paul Scholes. Um, he was on the same youth team as Paul Pogba and all of these guys who came through, Jesse Lingard. And he just came from a chaotic background. Manchester United tried to do as best they could for him. It just didn't happen. Um, they let him go. He went to West Ham. He burnt his bridges there. He went to even Scott scored a great goal for West Ham against Spurs one day. He went off to somewhere in Europe, burnt his bridges there, went to Sheffield United, burnt his bridges there. Just like you might have the talent, but you need something else as well. And it's only so much a club or an individual can do with somebody before they get tired themselves, physically and emotionally. You know what, Master? You're after reminding me of a book called uh, Forever Young, right? And it was about a fella called Adrian Doherty from the North. Brilliant book. Absolutely brilliant book, yeah. I, you know, and I hadn't thought about it until just now. I would highly recommend any listeners reading that book because it just shows that different effects, things that happen, can lead to massively different outcomes in in people's lives, you know, and they how they how they end up on on, on different paths. I second that. It's an absolutely fantastic book. Yeah, like I look, I think on this, like I think actually American sports. I'm just thinking Aaron Hernandez, um, just from the perspective of flawed, seriously flawed human being. The older he got, caused more and more trouble, and you know, New England actually didn't get rid of him until he was it was a fairly certain case that he was convicted of uh, murder. Yeah. Even though the suspicions before that, and they still didn't cut him. No, obviously it, can, it comes back to the social responsibility if they cut him. He could go completely off the wall and could, you know, and I'm just saying that's an extreme case, but it is something you'd see in a lot of American sports where teams would, uh, in the NFL in particular, where they'd actually just cut a player because he's too much baggage, uh, too much bad car, bad badness around him like Deshaun I'm just thinking Deshaun Jackson with Philly a couple of years ago they just they just got rid of him he was just causing too much trouble internally and stuff like that so I don't know I think it's a it's a big it's a tough question Cormac what do you think yourself I actually now that you just said that I actually have an interesting an interesting story when I was when I was in final year in college we went over to uh went over to western Pennsylvania just a place just outside Pittsburgh on placement clinical placement for four months I was in a small little place called Slippery Rock, about an hour and a half north of uh, hour and a half north of Pittsburgh, real Western Pennsylvania, Trump country. 
like I looked up I looked up the vote at the county there last week and like 72% Trump or something like that so you can imagine but the one thing this slippery rock place had going for it was its football program so they were a D2 school but they routinely would get into kind of last 16 last 8 in the nation of D2 which it's an okay standard so they had this fella he was running back running in touchdowns all day and one of the days we were over there they were getting towards the end of the season these two cop cars pull up at the training session and we're all looking around saying what is going on here bunch of cops jump out run onto the pitch cuffs on this running back the star player take him off down wherever they took him into Pittsburgh he'd been involved in an armed robbery the night before in Pittsburgh, in a place called Duquesne, um, which would be a rough enough part of Pittsburgh. I think at times they have street curfews at night there. Um, he'd been involved in an Arab robbery, and the next day, the head coach, he was old school, but he was very big on these lads had to get an education. The second he heard it, even though your man got off on bail, or I don't know whether he actually got charged, but he was gone, never came near that football team again star running back but it was just it's like something of a movie but the coach was just no no way gone probably was a lot of people in Slippery Rock who weren't happy with the decision Paul you have no idea <laughs> oh, uproar this was all they have was football football and Trump <laughs> but fans fans don't generally care like really um, success for a fan is winning it's not like how he does in his life or how he is like that's just the way it is as a supporter. It's different when you're inside in the team or you're coaching somebody. Back in the back in the film, then lads, there's just one one thing that I want you to uh, just see. Like I felt that, like obviously they had a great bond at the end, Maguire and Will. But like I think what finally tipped them over the edge, well apart from the crying scene, because I'm sure we were all crying there as well, aren't we? No. Um, I was there with your crowd. You don't worry. Man, thanks, Carmen. Somebody was it? Was another Disney one? Colin, was it? Um, but it, but it was actually when when Lambo and uh, and McGuire were arguing, and he overheard it, and it was probably the first time he felt in an awful, awful long time that people somebody actually cares, mm. and they both cared for him, but they both had different ways of caring for him, and when he was outside eavesdropping on that, and he eventually kind of. It was getting heated, and he eventually came in the door. Um, I don't know, was it too much to defuse it? But for him to kind of feel like that was, I suppose that was a real breakthrough in the, in the movie, like wasn't it? No, you are right. It was, it was a big breakthrough because he, even though you could argue Lambeau cared for selfish reasons, but he all of a sudden felt like probably he had some value or or worth, I suppose. And I look, you can apply, you can apply that back to to any any sort of environment if you if you if you make someone what was your who the line about who was it you said earlier? Uh Potty Butler or someone make someone feel good. No, John Morrison. John Morrison. Yeah. yeah. Like that's essentially what it goes back to. Um basic human psychology. What's the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Mm-hmm. Isn't there something about being being loved there somewhere? Yeah. Like basic human psychology really I suppose and it applies in that scene in breakthrough scene in the movie and it applies in management, coaching probably whatever aspect like it's it's the one that always used to get me was 
and I saw for the first time when I would have been involved in panels as a sub rather than starting was the kind of the usual chat chat you'd get or oh, keep pushing keep pushing you could be 16 to 24 or 16 to 32 and keep pushing keep pushing we haven't forgotten about you and you're just thinking in your head would you f off you you're, you've no you've absolutely no um no intention of putting me on the pitch here and you're giving me this waffle keep pushing keep pushing and you can see that with lads on the back end of panels sometimes like if if they're not believing what you're saying and they're not feeling loved or wanted or valuable well then you're not going to get you're not going to get through to them yeah and like does it come back to like as i said just just with the, the argument it does to add is it the player versus the person and like as you said you had lambeau who was looking for the, looking at the player whereas you had mcguire looking at the person and like as a coach to be to be conscious of that um like it is very important it's very important for the play for the person who is a player isn't it that they feel that you value them in in a way other than on the pitch he heard the two guys fighting i think he realized that they care for him and i think that was very very important for a player to know that you actually care for them as we said it before in previous shows if you care for them care for a player or put yourself out there for them they'll perform better for you I think that was the light bulb moment for Will in the film. And I think that's probably more important and applicable to the back end of the panel. Like, I don't think, mm. in terms of motivating people, I don't think that's as important for 1 to 15 because they're like at the end of the day, there's a selfish element to all this and that. If you're, one to, if you're in 1 to 15, you're kind of happy enough. Like, and you're, you're, there's a large proportion of your, your thought process of looking after yourself. And you're thinking, right, I'm here, I'm happy enough, even whether I'm kind of being made feel special or not, but if you're trying to look after 16 to 32, 33, 34, and you don't have a touch of that kind of outlook or approach, I'd imagine, and again, you'd have more experience with this than I would, but I'd imagine you could very quickly lose lads or alienate lads. Yeah, the fine line between 2, 12 and 22, as I mentioned in the film from a couple of weeks ago, and to, you must try to keep those lads from, what would you say, 25 to 30 happy? and make them feel as important as the guy who's number one on the team. Because if you lose them players, you don't know, actually know when you're going to need them, to be honest. Right, anything else to add on the film? Um, what was your favourite favorite scene no. or favourite? I love films from Southie in Boston. There's some absolute crackers out there, and this is another one. Some serious haircuts and uh, some serious clobber in it as well. Oh, some serious clobber in it. No Adidas geared up, Paul, was there? No, I don't think there was actually. There was a, there was a nice cobra jacket at the start though, uh, being worn by by Matt Damon. It brought but, me back to the cobra guy. Like, yeah, there was. I was checking that out actually. I uh, actually googled it. <laughs> any any film set in Boston is immediately five percent better because of the Boston accent. Yeah, it's good. But and then the South Boston ones, like the town is set there, The Departed, uh, yeah, Mystic River. Uh, Black Mass, like all brilliant films, and uh, it's just I know it's about is it the people from that area that? Well, it's a very Irish area. It's, just, it's a very Irish area. Yeah. Is that why the stories come out of it? Because it's a working class, tough area, and it's just it's an area where good stories come from, possibly. But it's um really enjoyed watching the film again and looking at it differently this time. Like looking at it for perspective, what we're talking about tonight is in terms of how we can apply the GA and stuff. Really opened my opened up my eyes to to the film and how we can learn from it 
Um, it's well worth a watch. Anybody who's listened to the show hasn't watched it in a while. I'm just looking at it from perspective from what we're talking about in terms of GA or sporting coaching. Yeah, you, you talk about films being good based on where they're from. Like my favourite Irish films would be Intermission and The Snapper. And I knew good. you'd say The Snapper. I knew you'd mm-hmm. say No, you know what? Intermission is my favourite Irish film by an absolute mile. And there's a lot of that set in, I would say, working class Dublin. And it's it's a good setting for... Them kind of settings are really good for telling good stories because there's good stories there. Yeah. And um, also Afternoon Delight is used in the film, which is an absolute, yeah. an absolute classic. Yeah, there's some good ones. There's a Waterboy song played in the background in the pub as well at one stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really, I, I love pubs like that in America. I love American pubs. Um, just when the first scene there, I said, oh, what you do to be in one of them right now? <laughs> was it in a sickener? But, um, second. Did you not see the point of Guinness that was on the table at one stage? I wouldn't drink Guinness in Ireland, never mind over in America. Ah, you're one of them. Did it look creamy, Paul? No, it didn't. (laughs) It 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 looked like thrown out bath water. That's a very good description of it. Uh, Mini Driver's absolutely class in it as well. Ah, yes, brilliant. She got got nominated for an Oscar for that. Did you? Sport right. um, just one other quick thing there there was a line made in it about Mini Driver and Will and I think it applies to coaches as well where um, Robin Williams goes you're not perfect and she's not perfect but maybe you are perfect for each other mm. you mightn't be the best coach in the world um, you mightn't have the best players in the world but you might be the perfect match as a player as a team and a coach for each other as in the glove might fit with that team like, as you said there, as Cormac said earlier, like, would Jim Gavin work down in Nitro? Possibly not. Cormac as well, the the final scene as um, as Will is going from Boston to California, did you get your your idea from Goodwill Hunting? No, I, I, close enough, New York to California, but it's close enough, but... Is it had sorry had it any bearing on your decision to cycle across America? Uh, no, it didn't. I think it was decided long before that. I don't know where I got the notion from. Some sort of weird fascination with. Uh, <laughs> I have this weird fascination with uh, human endurance and what, pain. what not so much pain, but what it can do. Yeah, this weird like. Last night I watched some documentary about some fella trying to run 72 miles down the Appalachian Trail in 14 hours and it was an hour and a half and my ma came in at one session and was like, what in God's name are you watching? I have this weird fascination with with what the human body can do on a kind of individual, on an individual basis. I, I don't know why, in the past two, three years, my kind of, uh, my kind of desire to play like one of my favorite things to do is still go poke a ball off the wall, but my desire to play and be on a pitch in the past couple of years has really diminished. And I don't know whether it's come from kind of just losing a bit of ego. I ego just like me getting one up on someone on a hurling pitch doesn't do anything for me, no matter how much of an arsehole they are. But me going out on a Saturday and just seeing, I don't know, trying to tap into that reservoir of kind of 
seeing what you're capable of, even though I'm not very good at it. There's something about in that that appeals to me. Um, and I, I think that's probably where it stems from. But what, I don't really what, know. She said their comic about just going pucking the ball, that you enjoy that. I think you, you, you'll find that's a lot more common than you'd, you'd, you'd be led to believe. Like, I know the best player, let's say, look, the best player I've played with is Jodine, but the next best player is another full of blown our club, and he's, he's a year younger than me, but he re- would have retired a couple of years ago. But he's Sean? Just, no, not Sean. Christ, no. Um, <laughs> but he, just, he just loves going out pucking the ball, and, but he doesn't want to play matches. Yeah, and like I've read, yeah, like it's it's and look, as I said, look, there's a whole mindfulness uh, in touch with just pucking the ball against the wall or with somebody, you know. Um, but he just loves doing that, but he just doesn't want to have to go play matches. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, and it's a hard one to, and I, I've found it hard to explain to the club over the past two three years when I've kind of gone away from the senior team and stuff. But I just and maybe it was because I was more kind of ego driven when I was younger because I think there has to be a bit of ego there to be successful, not ego in the sense of cockiness but ego in the sense of that you enjoy there has to be a sense of that you're there's an sense of enjoyment that we're getting the better getting the better of the man you're beside there has to be an element of that there and there's that sort of competitive ego just deserved me the past two or three years and once that went there was just no sort of it doesn't really do anything for me they still i still love nothing more than going sitting down this weekend and watching all the games and going up to the pitch and poking ball around with my headphones on. But there's just something about that environment mm-hmm. on a pitch. It just, it, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. I don't know what it is. Cormac, I have um, the solution for you, and it's called, called social hurling. Crowley, that's, that's amazing what you're doing, is, actually. I've seen uh, that. I've actually, Paul, uh, Paul came down to Cork one night and played it, and I think he enjoyed it, even though he wasn't allowed to scotch anybody, surprisingly. And Massey would have played above in Dublin a bit of social football. No, that was a bit more competitive that day, alright, Massey. But it was. Um, it is. Is it not? Is it non-contact, Crowley? It's it's supposed to be non-contact, but sure, look, you'll bump into a fella, but non-aggressive. That's, cla- no that's aggressive class. Tactics. But that's, you know what? Do you know what it is? Savage. Like, exactly what you're saying there is kind of why we set it up. That like I loved, like we we played three junior B games now the year, three championship matches the year that I set it up or we set it up down here, and we got beaten by. Oh, 10 goals and 10 goals 30 points in two of the matches but I just loved being out in the pitch and I loved playing and I was used so I didn't touch the ball in one game but I just loved playing and is there some other format that we could do and you know that's where the social GA came in and, and it does take a box for, for what you're saying you know I've gone out and you can try stuff and there's no manager shouting at you and stuff like that but it's um, it is it's, I, I understand exactly what you're saying like Paul, actually, I'd be interested in your opinion on that because you strike me, I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, you strike me as someone who never lost that edge. And scotched for and, ah, st- and that probably still has it if you went on the pitch. No, you know, I actually really, really enjoy playing Junior B, Junior B Horn. Yeah. From the perspective of, it's, it's, a, puck, like it's, it's, it's a puck around. And I, I did enjoy my, uh, my night down on the, the banks of the River Lee under the backdrop of Parky Quave. Where I done a couple of reverse hand passes and crazy shit like that. It was you got some corkness. You got some corkness. No, well, look, I, I don't, I, don't sure, have sure, that, Thank God. She's half. He's half. He's cork. half cork. Sure, he's half cork. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But look, I think I think what you're saying is that, and I think Cormac, like, like I suppose, look, the reason that social G is there is for fellas like you. You don't want to, have to go down and play a match where there's a fella flaking off you, or the fella next door that you're marking just wants the ball way more than you because it's important to him 
Whereas for yeah. you, it's a social outlet. Yeah. It's a chance to get out and be with your friends. And you're probably playing with the fellas that you've been playing with all your life. And if they ask you, will you come? Will you play? Will you play? You don't want to let them down either. But you have to look after yourself as well at the end of it. And if it's not something you want to do, then if you don't want to be there, like that's the hardest thing I think, I think for, for a coach or for a player, for a player to say is I don't want to be there to the coach because you don't want to let them down, but it's something that the GA, mm. we kind of always seem to pressure, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about social GA another night, I think. Um, yeah. So anything else, anything else to add in the film, like film Cormac, anything else to touch with you? Uh. No, other than I absolutely loved the scene when he sent his mate into the interview. <laughs> like, if I ever wanted to send someone into an interview that I knew could do some good bluffing for me, I'd send Paul O'Brien. I do like Paul O'Brien's first one that comes to my mind, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're getting paid for in a negative light here, Paul, but I'd agree with you, lads. He definitely gets, he definitely gets 73 euro after him as well. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, favourite scene, favourite scene, lads, Massey, Paul? Uh, the scene in the bar at the start when he meets uh, Mini Driver for the first time, when he shows up the guy with the Hans haircut. Yeah. You know, I actually like that as well. There, there was another, one of the scenes where Will and um, Will was getting his, his psychology and uh, they ended up talking about going to the gym, like, and it was real subtle and Will goes, Will, what do you bench? He goes, yeah, bench, bench 285. And he goes, what do you bench? And he just real subtly, completely ignored the question because mm. he, he 100% assumed he was going to be benching whatever, 100 kg more, or sorry, 100, 100 pounds more than... than <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I loved it. Sean. Because it was just really... It showed how... Will was real. It was really important to him to be the best to an extent, and mm. he like he he did. He wanted to be the best of whatever he done, whether that was maths or fighting, or riding or whatever. Mm. I think my favorite part was was uh, well, look, there was loads of favorite parts, but I think the, when they did, basically had the steering competition, and he acknowledged when Maguire said, "Yeah, that's what we're doing," you know, and the two of them were just sitting there across the room from each other, not saying nothing time after time, until who's going to break first. I just thought that was uh, I thought that was class. And like, mm. imagine, oh, you're you're having that competition with a player you want to play with the team in the club. You're the manager, and you're going, "Jeez, if I text him now, it's look desperate," and he's gone, "Well, I'm not texting him first. <laughs> you, you can picture right. Um, what will we give? What will we give? What will we give? Will Hunting? What will we give him out of uh, five rating? I don't want to give him a rating because right. I think I think it's wouldn't do him justice. I think it's um, like he's just a quality human being. Numbers won't define him, Massey. Numbers won't define him here. Right. Are we are we in agreement? We leave him off. So we just say he was a right good man. Go for it. Yeah, we'll throw him in for the we'll throw him in for the the, the thing at the end of the year and see how he gets on. Um yeah. Cormac, go on, I know you spoke a bit about the about the thing. Could you give a plug on your Twitter, Instagram there just so people can follow the I know it's is it, is it April or May next year? April, April, all going well. We're, we're thankful. We're thankful. Biden's in the White House now, anyway, so that should help. It'll help you. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, go on, give a plug there on, on what it is and uh, Instagram pages are whatever. It's, a, it's simple you. enough. I'm going to get my bike and cycle it from Los Angeles to New York, um, and hopefully go over across the states in one piece. Um, and I suppose we're doing it for we're trying to raise funds for. 
Pieta House and Bodywise. So Pieta House, everyone knows, Bodywise would be the main eating disorders charity in Ireland that would deal with a lot of body image kind of eating disorder type issues, which I've kind of myself had own sort of bits and bobs to kind of work through with. So um, just trying to bring a bit of awareness to that. That's really it. Very good. good. I think I speak for the three of us. I say best of luck with that. I plan to do that journey myself, but I won't be doing it on a bike. It'll be an RV in a few years' time. So. RV, Route 66. That's Route 66. Yeah. I actually want to nearly prefer to go down south through Texas and that part of the country. But I say, I you say, fair play, to, yeah. fair play to you, It's going to be a great adventure. Yeah. You could do what the NASCAR, the Top Gear lads did and drive through Louisiana and Georgia with NASCAR silks written all over the RV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, very good. All right. Um, Cormac, look, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And thanks for uh, picking picking the movie. I suppose it, it took away from uh, the norm for us, but it, it was good to look at things from a different angle. And I suppose look from your own perspective to hear your thoughts on it. Um, Paul, anything to add? No, i got to go see about a girl now. <laughs> you're stealing his lane <laughs> very good um, thanks Paul thanks Massey and thank you Cormac thanks lads thank you take it easy lads thanks thanks for joining us today please leave a review on your favourite platform and if you enjoyed it tell a friend you may also want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roy Orbison Tattoo and we appreciate any likes retweets and comments and any feedback in general is welcome that's it for this season we will be back next week with uh, the end of season review quiz with myself and Massey and Paul. And I just want to thank the two lads for all their work they've put in so far this year with two seasons. And we've got plenty more coming in the new year. Happy Christmas and thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.